This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Produced behind closed doors, disposed of discreetly and hidden by euphemism, bodily waste is something common to all and as natural as breathing, yet we prefer not to talk about it. But in her new book, The Big Necessity, The Unmentionable World of Human Waste and Why It Matters, our guest today, Rose George, takes aim at the taboo, revealing everything that matters about how people do and don't deal with their own Rose George is a freelance writer and journalist who regularly contributes to Slate, The Guardian, The Independent, and The Financial Times. Rose George, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for being here. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Very well. And you're in in London, am I correct? I am in London, Uh, yes. What's it like there today? You you have rain? Is it foggy or... What's Uh, It's kind of gray and a little bit drizzly. Yeah. Well, so not too bad as London winters go. What one of the few days that uh, London weather is like California weather? I think it's we're, we're we're equals as far as the rain goes. Now, now you were down under the city in, in part of this book to to report on the sewer systems of London. What was that like, and and uh, what you experienced down there? Well, that was actually the first trip I did for the book, so uh-huh. it was memorable. Even it would have been memorable even if it weren't going down the sewers. Uh-huh. Um, it was the most astonishing thing was I remember standing on the ladder and you have to wear all sorts of gear. You have you know, thigh high waders, uh, like fishing boots, and um, you have a crotch harness and you ha- you're attached to a rope and you're wearing a hard hat. You've got big yeah. gloves, you've got big socks, you've got everything. Titanium studded boots. Um, <laughs> and you're surrounded by about five burly men at 10 p.m. on a rainy London night. Wow. So all in all, it's all, it's, it, it promises to be an experience. And I remember standing on the ladder and thinking, oh, my God, what's it going to be like? <laughs> and because I have to say at this point, I do not particularly have any affinity with, you know, with uh, the substance itself. I do not find it attractive. Um, um, I know some people do, but they're kind of few and far between. Anyway, I don't. So I was not looking forward to a very smelly, horrible environment. And luckily, when I got down to the bottom of the ladder and I kept waiting to be hit by a smell, a horrible, you know, you expect it to smell like a million toilets or something because it's the products of a million people. Um, And it doesn't smell because it's 95% water. So that was the biggest shock was that it was really quite tolerable, at least in in terms of odor. Mm. Wow. But kind of, kind of dank and, and uh, you know, you don't really want to have a party down there, but <laughs> it's, it's certainly not as bad as I expected. Well, were, were there any sewers that you were in where you'd want to have a party? Um, well, actually, the first one I went down was the Fleet River, which is one of the very old sewers in London. It, it, well, it used to be the river, and then it, it was turned into a sewer. It was bricked over. Uh-huh. Um, and that wasn't too bad because they'd actually uh, blocked the flow so that we could go down. So I probably would have a little party down there um, <laughs> because it is, I mean, I found it, I found it very beautiful. I do like tunnels and engineering and yes. um, it's very beautiful brickwork. And, okay, you don't really want to look at what's going on 
between your feet. <laughs> but um, in terms of surroundings, it's very atmospheric. I mean, there's a reason that sewers are all it'll pop up in films all over the place because the lighting is quite spooky and the bricks are lovely and and it's really quite an interesting place. Mm-hmm. Now, now we, we've been kind of joking about all this so far, but uh, there's. 2.6 billion people around the world who have no access to toilets at all. Uh, how does that how does that affect policy around the world, and, and how does that affect people's lives? Well, the simple answer is it doesn't affect policy very much, which is why in this day and age there are four in ten people on the planet that have absolutely no toilet. And when I say no toilet, I mean nothing. They don't even have a biscuit box. Yeah. Um, so that gives you some indication of the priority this is given in policy. Now, I think that is changing, but um, the problem is that in the past, um, there's this category of aid, which is known as water and sanitation, and that's not in alphabetical order, and, and there's a reason for that, because water, clean water, providing clean drinking water, which is obviously crucial, gets all the attention and gets politicians' attention and also, more importantly, gets most of the budget. 95% of the already small budgets that go on water and sanitation go on water. Whereas the trouble is, if you look at um, what health um, experts have calculated, they find that a clean latrine and good hygiene can reduce about 60 to 70% of disease whereas just providing clean water only reduces disease by about 20%. So you actually, it makes more sense to invest in a latrine and hygiene. Of course, ideally, you'd invest in all three, um, water and hygiene and uh, a latrine, but latrines have just got horribly neglected, which is why we're in this kind of appalling situation where children are dying of diarrhea every 15 seconds. I mean, to that, to most of us, is you know, the result of a bad kebab or a bad pizza or ba- about any takeaway food. I don't want to castigate any food <laughs> in particular. But um, for us, it's such a banal thing, you know, to have, to have the runs or to have a bad tummy or something. But um, it's killing children. I mean, if you look at Zimbabwe, the cholera epidemic, that's an indication of what happens when sanitation infrastructure is either missing or, or collapses, as has happened in Zimbabwe. Well, I was just going to say, on, on the book cover and also just what I read in the introduction, we talk about uh, people really don't like to talk about the subject. Uh, is, is that part of the reason why uh, we are refusing to face it and, and, and provide latrines for the rest of the world? Or is, it, is there something else behind this, too? I think, I mean, my answer to this is a bit complicated because um, I think at one level, at the level of the people who control the purse strings, the politicians and, uh, you know, the people who are going out doing photo opportunities, they don't want to stand in front of a latrine. They should, but they don't. So that there is a, a, a conversational taboo and a sort of political, a, a taboo of political will, really, at that level, which is certainly influencing uh, the way things are and the fact that things don't get done. Um, but having researched this book, and I've spent about three years of my life on this now, um, I actually found that people do want to talk about this, and that I became a kind of conduit for all sorts of sanitation and toilet anecdotes. And invariably, whenever I would say oh, I'm writing a book about human waste or toilets or whatever, um, there would be a brief pause and, and a sort of quizzical look, and then a story would always, always come pouring out. Something, you know, when I was on vacation in New Zealand, there were these fantastic long drop latrines or or whatever. Or, you know, I don't really like toilet paper. I prefer this, you know. And then you get all this, these intimate details that perhaps you don't particularly want to know. But um, 
I found that people do want to talk about it, so I think that really they will talk about it if the opportunity is given to them, but the opportunity isn't there. Now, a few, a few, uh, just a minute ago, you were talking about water and 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 the uh, disposal of human waste, and I want to explore a little bit about how they're related in terms of what it re- what's required of a society to make an investment in clean water, and what's required to make an investment in a sewer system that is effective and serves all of the people in a country. Is there a vast difference in the amount of monies that are involved in in securing clean water as a, as opposed to or in conjunction with uh, a sewer system? No, well, you, in both situations you've got capital-intensive big infrastructural projects um, which require investment, uh, they, they require a lot of investment to install up front and then they're relatively um, not so expensive to keep running. But I think the more interesting point to make here is that when we're talking about these 2.6 billion, which we were talking about earlier, um, they don't necessarily want or need a sewer system because they may live in countries where there isn't enough water to flush eight or nine liters of it down a toilet every time you flush a toilet. Mm -hmm. That's the case in India, for example, which is a very fast developing country with a GDP of galloping growth. Um, And they have uh, about 200 Indian cities have sewer systems. But Often they simply don't work because you've got this big um, project that's installed, maybe funded by the World Bank or some some Western aid agency. So all this big capital uh, infrastructure is put in place, and you find that you don't have the skills, the people don't have the skills to keep it going, or there isn't the right staff, or there isn't the money to keep it going. So in Delhi, for example, a lot, uh, though there is, uh, there is one wastewater treatment plant in Delhi, if you go and look at Delhi's rivers, you know exactly where the sewage is going because mm-hmm. they're dead. Mm-hmm. And they're dead because so much sewage is going in there. So the the new thinking in sanitation is that the sewer, the flush toilet and the sewer paradigm, which is what we all luxuriate in, or most of us, some of your listeners probably have septic tanks, um, that, that paradigm is not necessarily the answer. And what we do need to be is flexible. Maybe Maybe we can do something, ecological sanitation, which uses a toilet which uses less water or some other kind of system, some kind of on-site treatment so you don't have these massive sewer networks running miles underground leading to a massive treatment plant that needs money, that uses a lot of energy. Um, There is an argument that the sewer sewer paradigm is not particularly sustainable. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but also human waste has a lot of nutrients in it and our sewer system our wastewater treatment system, um, we get rid of those nutrients and they go to waste. So, so we, it, it, it's so, a bit of a shame. So we leach that part out of the of the waste. Uh, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Rose George. The book is The Big Necessity, The Unmentionable World of Human Waste and Why It Matters. So um, it, we may, as you're saying, we may be at a point where this idea, <clears throat> this idea of these massive infrastructure uh, arrangements that we have here in what we call the civilized or Western world, more, more or less, um, may not work. So what works? What does work in these sort I was, of... I was just going to ask, are you suggesting or are they suggesting uh, personal treatment, uh, uh, you know, for, for every uh, house they would have a, a treatment well, center? Well, I mean, it depends. You see, the trouble is, the, the, the thing that really uh, befuddles people is how to deal with cities. And in the developing world, you have these fast-growing cities, and maybe in a city the only solution is a kind of centralized wastewater treatment system. 
because you can't have everybody with their own kind of composting toilet or their own septic tank. But in areas where there is maybe more land and more space and um, money to put it, think of alternative systems, maybe there is room to um, think differently about this, this, how we deal with waste, and maybe we can um, use the waste more efficiently and also cut down on energy costs and wasting water. I mean, in California, there's the Orange County, uh, what's it called, reclaimed water okay. treatment plant, which of course, I'm sure everyone knows about because it was quite scandalous. But um, I mean, they, they were dumping it into the ocean. That oh well, they, well everyone dumps it into the ocean everywhere. But yeah. <laughs> if you start looking at how things work, but no, Orange County now re- recycles uh, sewage effluent, which is the liquid you get when you clean sewage, uh, into drinking water. Now this obviously horrified people, um, but in fact it's it's really what we all do because water only water is you know it's all the same water. Mm-hmm. We're drinking the same water the dinosaurs drank and stuff. So. Um, there's only so there's only one place it can go. So obviously, when we flush a toilet, it ends up in a river or a sea, and eventually, it probably ends up as drinking water. So, but it caused a big scandal. But that was uh, because of obviously water stress in California. So it's something that is going to keep happening. I think. Well, now, is there a, a positive way we can use our, our waste to, to generate energies? Is there something that we're missing out on here on a grander scale, other than just you know kind of <laughs> sticking it over in a corner? Actually, using it to, for some uh, some positive stuff within a, a city infrastructure. Sure, there are there are increasing interesting number of innovations. I mean, in fact, the uh, sludge, uh, which is the dirt that you remove from that sewage effluent, seventy um, percent of that in the U.S. is used. It's used as fertilizer and it's put on agricultural land. Um, which some people aren't happy with. They don't think it's particularly safe because we do put industrial waste and all sorts of stuff down our sewers. Um, but there are other really interesting initiatives um, to use biogas, uh, which is the methane that you can, which comes off sewage, and you can convert that into electricity or steam. And that is being done in a few uh, wastewater treatment plants in the states. Um, another really, I think, exciting initiative is to use biogas as a transport fuel, which is being done in Stockholm in Sweden and Lille in France, and they are, they are running buses off uh, sewage gas, which I just think is fabulous. Yeah. I, does it, does it, uh, what's the exhaust smell like? Uh, I haven't stuck my nose in a, in yeah. a bus exhaust, but I will, I will go there and do it and yeah. report back to you. But um, <laughs> okay. apparently, apparently it doesn't smell at all. And also um, it, has, it doesn't have the same particle emissions that uh, regular fuel has. So uh, it's much greener. And wow. uh, well, once, you, once you've paid up front, up front for the infrastructure, you need like a gas filling station and stuff. Um, it pays for itself. No, you've touched on something that uh, you just again you mentioned a minute ago that the human waste uh, today's human waste uh, the stuff that we that comes out of from our toilet into the system now oftentimes has chemicals and also increasingly um, prescription medications are involved uh, in in that um, are we getting closer to a point with the more sophisticated systems to be able to filter out all of the things that would be harmful to uh, to us to be recycling back into the environment are we still a ways from being able to to uh, f- with that technology? Well, the trouble is that that kind of technology is expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
wastewater treatment, most plants, they, there are certain things they have to look for, but even um, stuff like looking for salmonella, that is an expensive test. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why maybe it doesn't get done. But um, I do think the issue, particularly of pharmaceuticals in wastewater, that is increasingly being looked at, and I think a lot of studies are now being done about that. Um, and I think that will will become um, more important in the next few years or so. Um, well, is it so a, is it a function of as as you're describing this sort of trend towards the value of human waste? As it becomes more valuable in terms of being recycled, then the economy, the scale, the the the, the interest in making sure that that waste is cl- as clean as it can be is economically more a viable option. Would that well, be fair to say? Well, um, the issue, thing of, the future of wastewater treatment, I think, will look like this. It will look like wastewater treatment managers freaking out about how much energy they are using mm-hmm. and increasingly having to conform to certain directives. Certainly that's the case over here. The European Union wastewater, energy directives now has wastewater treatment managers running around an absolute flap trying to figure out how they can conform to it. So they are trying to cut costs, um, financial costs and energy costs, and also uh, looking at water. So I think that that is going to be one trend. Another trend um, is going to be uh, these are two different things. You've got you've got the issue of energy and water and cost, and then you've got the the issue of human health. And um, personally, I would not want to be a wastewater treatment manager because these are two vastly complicated things to achieve. Mm-hmm. But um, I think they are doing their best. But I, I think that wastewater treatment, since it was uh, installed about 150 years ago, it has generally been a case of us kind of muddling through. And I do think we are going to muddle through a bit longer, and it won't be perfect. But it does do the essential job of separating us from a potentially toxic substance. But, but, but I guess the premise of my question is, is human waste going to become more and more valuable uh, to us? You mean as a commodity? Yes. Well, um, that's a very interesting... No one's asked me that. I mean, it is valuable already. It's just not uh, given a sort of uh, financial price. I mean, it is a valuable resource. If you, for right. example, compare it to the cost of artificial fertilizer, um, artificial fertilizer costs have gone through the roof in the last couple of years, and uh, because of because uh, oil prices have gone up and, and because phosphate reserves are limited and... and uh, some people think they're going to run out in about 100 years or 150 years. So those, the nitrogen, potassium, and phosphate, which you find in human waste, if you were to buy those in the form of artificial fertilizer, you would be spending a lot of money. However, for now, you can still get, um, you can get biosolids, um, sewage, sludge, fertilizer. You can still get it for free. Mm-hmm. So um, waste, because wastewater treatment plants want to get rid of it, mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's in their interest just to give it away for free. So for now, it's not a valuable commodity. But I do think that as those artificial fertilizer prices keep going through the roof, then uh, it may start to be more precious in terms of financial uh, meaning. I, I don't want to introduce a whole other layer uh, of, or factor into this discussion, but I think it's important knowing how much uh, cow uh, waste uh, is is going on in this country because we have enormous stocks of uh, of cows uh, and uh, production of dairy products in this country. 
it's in the hundreds of millions of cows, and the, their waste is creating actually a kind of an environmental concern about the amount of methane that's being released in the atmosphere. Is there any? Can you see this kind of uh, a joint uh, a joint merging of the of what we do with with uh, poultry and cow waste and human waste? Is there some nexus here where where they sort of come together? Do you, um, Does this... uh, not not as yet, as far as I know. I know that you've got a big hog problem too. I was yeah. reading about it. Um, yeah. No, as far as I can see, uh, just having I am not an expert okay. on animal manure. I, I concentrated on hu- the human stuff because uh, yeah. that's already complicated enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it just so seems I, I'm not an expert, but I did look into it, and mm-hmm. I did see that it it is an enormous problem. And you have these huge lagoons of hog waste and, yeah. and uh, cow waste. And then they're being sprayed around. I can't. I just can't see that that is good for human no, it, health or, or the environment. So I hope that someone's going to pick up the baton and and, and uh, start campaigning about it because, yes, it is an issue. Well, it's an issue just in terms of just it seeping into the aquifers and 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 it's with especially considering how much uh, in, uh, pesticides are involved here. And also it's been brought up as a major cause of ozone depletion because Mm. the amount of methane gas being released in the atmosphere has a a dramatic and detrimental impact on that as well. So what I'm trying to do is tie all of this. I mean, we have so much waste now in the world. We have so many people and so many animals that we we are farming uh, that it it seems that uh, the purpose of your book is to talk about this. And we're also in the midst of a a poop <laughs> meltdown here if we're not careful. So yeah, wow. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Was I that mean, a little too graphic? The, the, not, the not poop, for me. The poop reference. Oh, there? I don't <laughs> object to the word poop. <laughs> um, I guess we should just you know be vegetarian. That would help. But no. um, that's a bit facetious. But no, it. I think. Certainly, I, to bring it back to the humans, I'm yes. sorry, I, I really am not an expert. No, I, I just, I, I, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I didn't. But I do, do think that, we yes. are getting to a point where, in the states and in the UK, these, for example, sewer systems, they are really, really suffering under population pressure. Oh. They're not going to get any bigger. The population is not going to diminish, and yet there is serious underfunding in the states. And uh, the American Society of Civil Engineers, last time it looked at the wastewater infrastructure, so that's all the sewers and the treatment plants, which I think was about three or four years ago, gave it a D minus. So um, it's something has to give. And at the moment, it's just kind of giving. If you read local newspapers, it's, you know, so-and-so has got a sewage flood in their basement and -and so-and-so's pipe has bust and so-and-so is suffering, you know, whatever a drain has, has clogged outside the house. So it's all kind of little incremental failures. But I do think, I'm not saying that the whole system is going to catastrophically fail, because it probably won't. But I do think we do have to look at it. And I know that President Obama's stimulus plan does have a provision to build, I think, 19 new wastewater treatment plants. But I'd, I'd also like to see some money in there for propping up the sewers, because without sewers, cities can't function. Yeah. We're speaking with Rose George. The book is The Big Necessity, The Unmentionable World of Human Waste and Why It Matters. And I'm going to shift gears here. Yeah. It's all right with Mike. I, yeah. I'm just, uh, I, I want to get to the more personal level here. Uh, toilet paper versus bidet. Uh, which, which is actually a, a more civilized way to use a toilet? Did you deliberately use the word civilized because it's so tricky? Yeah. <laughs> well, well I, I, I deliberately used it, but I can change very easily. If, you say, if, you, if you'd ask me which was the more hygienic, I could answer that okay. much more. Okay, hygienic. hygienic. The more I hygienic like way yeah. is water. We wash ourselves with water. The only part of our bodies that we don't wash with water is the dirtiest part. 
okay. which is our rear end. And to me, once you start looking at this, you start to think, well, that, you know, that really does not make sense. Um, we would not use a towel and rub it over our bodies and think we were clean, but that's what we do by simply using toilet paper. So the answer to your question is water. Mm-hmm. Now, water is a more hygienic way of cleaning, but yeah, toilet paper has its place. Now, now, why is it so tough to convince Americans to get to sit on a, a, a bidet? What's, what is the problem there? Because I, I, I know there's a story about uh, uh, Toto, the Japanese uh, firm that was trying mm-hmm. to introduce uh, bidets to the country. What's, what's going on with this country and, and uh, a little water flow? Well, I think the fundamental problem is that uh, um, to persuade Americans to use a bidet, you have to tell them that they're dirty. <laughs> and they probably don't want to hear that. So I think that's a very difficult hurdle to overcome, and that's what Toto and Enax, the two Japanese uh, toilet manufacturers, have been trying to overcome when they're trying to sell these bidet toilets to Americans. I think there's also, it's simply just an unfamiliar thing, which mm-hmm. is a bit odd when you consider that America is such a melting pot and people have come from all over the world, including many, many countries that use water as um for for anal cleansing rather than toilet paper. Um, And the funny thing is, having done this book, I found this um, little subculture of of Americans um, who are trying to (laughs) keep going with their water cleansing habits in a toilet paper world. And they have all these kind of subterfuges for, they'll keep a, a plant in the bathroom if they're sharing a house so they can have a watering can full of water in the bathroom and nobody will think that they're weird or they'll sneak a cup up to the, to the sink and fill water from the, the faucet and then kind of sit under their arm and sneak into the toilet. But, um, but when I, I wrote about this for a salon, I did a Q&A, and, and afterwards I was reading the comments, and there were about 90 comments, and all of them were about how much better it was to use water than toilet paper. Mm. And in fact, lots of people have these kind of coping mechanisms. They might carry around wet wipes, or they might, you know, wet toilet paper, moisten toilet paper. Yeah. Um, but to answer your question, I have no idea why Americans are not particularly receptive. I, I mean, it's not just Americans. The Brits aren't either. They, we also think the bidets are weird. There's just something about um, any sort of orifice. <laughs> Human, Americans are just very... You, you don't want to shoot anything up I there? Guess, I guess. There's something oh. sort of... Yeah, I, 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 I want to... I know we're very short on time, and I don't want to... I, well, just, I, I just had one more question. Yeah. I want to point out, and it, it's an important point uh, as far as bathroom habits go, squatting. Is is always a better position to to deal with your waste. Just plain squatting. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a conspiracy here uh, because we're having or all our public restrooms are going into uh, habitat. Uh, what am I saying? Um, uh, handicapped uh, mode. The thrones mm-hmm. sit up so much higher that you can no yeah. longer uh, properly get, yeah, position properly yourself. Position yeah. yourself. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the trick to that is you must you should always lean back. Yeah. <laughs> that helps. Okay. All right. <laughs> that does help. But yeah, you're right. American toilet seats are stunningly throne-like at the moment and very high and very yep. make you very straight backs. And, and that's really not good for evacuation purposes. Well, I'm pretty soon my, my, my feet are going to be dangling. Yeah. Yeah. Rose George, I, this, uh, there is, I mean, we, this may not, this may be too big a question, but uh, for the, for the final question here, but in in the other parts of the world that do not have these sophisticated uh, um, uh, sewer treatment sewer systems, um, are we seeing the small solutions in these villages and these small townships and around the world that are viable and will work? Do do you see that a a, a trend uh, uh, coming 
for these other parts? I do, of- but not, not necessarily. I think that, that works in that part of the world. For example, ch- Chinese farmers who have biogas digesters and, and cook with methane tapped from their latrines, I mean, that works brilliantly. Um, you have uh, Indians with uh, composting toilets, uh, Africans who have very simple pit latrines, and once they've done with the latrine, they, when it's full, they simply plant a banana tree in it. Mm-hmm. And so they get very nice bananas. Um, all these things are very suitable and appropriate for a particular environment and a particular people. But you have to take in, um, I always say you have to take account of the software and not just the hardware. You have to understand that people are very complicated and um, sort of modify what you're offering them yeah. accordingly. They have to want whatever it is you're trying to make them want. So yeah. they have to has to be suitable. Like Indians don't like um, dealing with human waste, but they're quite happy to swim around in cow dung, for example. So right. that's something you have to right. factor into account. But uh, well, you have to, toilet sanitation is about people. It's not just about plumbing. Right. Well, it sounds like it's. Uh, it's well, about education. It's about and it's about resources and uh, and making uh, the case for it. Uh, Rose George, thank you so much for being here on Weekly Signals. The book is "The Big Necessity: The Unmentionable World of Human Waste and Why It Matters." Rose George, thank you. You're welcome. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit NathanCallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals.